Listen here, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Let me tell you, that's not exactly the kind of line one usually chooses for the scripture reading when preaching for the call at a church. Starting off with such a stern admonition has seldom endeared a preacher to the hearts of their audience. But this isn't exactly a normal time or a normal preaching for the call. We, many of us, have known each other for, for some time. We have been part of the same community together. And as a community, we're finishing off our time together in this book of James. And this is the very warning with which James begins this section of his letter to his audience. And so it is the warning with which I must begin to preach for the call to be the associate minister of this church. So listen up and hear the woes of wealth. The Bible is chock full of warnings about wealth. Jesus tells us that it is difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I wonder, do we take him seriously when he says this? Again, our Lord says that nobody can serve two masters, that we cannot serve both God and money. Yet how many of us are far more concerned for our investments than we are for our faithfulness in following Jesus? It seems that actually we're quite good at forgetting about and laying aside the Bible's many warnings about wealth. And so perhaps we need James's harsh and stern reminder wake-up call, really, to weep and to wail, to look deeply at the face of the misery that waits for the rich if they do not change their ways, and to hear this warning as an invitation for all of our lives. I think it's far too simple for us to look at celebrities and oil tycoons and tech billionaires when we read these kinds of harsh words, but can we see ourselves as part of the rich? and the wealthy. In Jesus's time, if you had two coats, you were fairly well off. How many of us have more than one coat? To have savings at all would have been a sign of some measure of wealth. How many of us have even a month's expenses available to us should we have need? We're in a global pandemic and many of us continue to have work or pensions. How many of us have been able to self-isolate as much as we felt comfortable doing? What incredible luxury many of us live with. And this is to say nothing of the global realities that suggest that if you know where your next meal is coming from, or if you have access to things like food banks, you are in fact some of the most fortunate people on the planet. And don't get me wrong, in our church, there are certainly some of us who are experiencing poverty. And if that's you, James has some challenging words of invitation that will be coming up for you as well. But our church is a church that has had wealth for some time now. And downtown Toronto is a place where so many people are far wealthier than they would ever realize or admit to themselves. And it is to these people that James first speaks. There is a critical problem for the wealthy who desire to follow Jesus, and it's not simply that because of their birth or their work or their happenstance that they have access to wealth. This is not the central problem. 
James states what the problem is, and it's not wealth. Rather, it is wealth that has rotted. The problem is not clothes, but it is clothes that are moth-eaten. The problem is not silver or gold, but it is in fact rust. It is not a gold coin that will testify against the rich. It is the rust that will eat their flesh like fire. Your treasure will not rust in your possession if it is spent. Clothes that are worn are not moth-eaten. Things don't have a chance to rot if they are used. This is why Jesus instructs those who follow him to sell your possessions and to give to the poor, to provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven where thieves do not steal and where no rust destroys. What should be clear for us is what the Swiss reformer John Calvin comments as he says, God has not appointed gold for rust nor garments for moths, but on the contrary, he has designed them as aids and helps for human life. Our treasures, our wealth, our possessions are not meant to waste away unused. They are meant to help God's beloved. If you have ever been in Knox's sanctuary, and it's a weird time because some of you watching may never have had the opportunity, but if you've been here, you might have realized or seen this stained glass window, uh, this portrait of the prophet Moses holding the Ten Commandments. It was once mentioned to me about this stained glass window that Moses is pointing to the Eighth Commandment, Thou shalt not steal. For some time, it puzzled me that this would be the commandment that the artist chose to have Moses point to. I wondered, was this simply miserly Scottish people concerned that their wealth would not go missing? What was there exactly to steal in the sanctuary? Perhaps a Bible or a hymnal, but either of these things I would happily give to anyone who had want of them. As I prepared for this sermon, however, I realized that I might have been interpreting the window incorrectly. Perhaps it is not the stranger or the poor that is being reminded not to steal. Perhaps it is the great many wealthy in the church that must be reminded of such. Not to steal from the well-being of our brothers and sisters by hoarding up wealth for ourselves and allowing it to rot, to be eaten by moths and to rust, to go unused towards God's good purposes. I would encourage you the next time that you see this window to allow it to challenge you, to consider what resources you've been given that you might be keeping from their intended purpose by their creator, that you might be stealing from those who your riches are meant to help or to bless. Friends, if you have any wealth that is rotting away, it is failing in its intended purpose. If you have clothes that you do not wear but leave hanging and unused in your closet, what good are they to anyone? If you found that your expenses have decreased because of this pandemic, that you are now able to save more than you were before, and you have not considered how you might use those excess funds for charity to support the poor, to help a food bank, 
to show kindness to another person, even to contribute to the ministry of the church, you might very well be failing to use the treasures that God has given you for the true purposes that they have. And this is a serious offense. And James assures us that the cries of the poor who are unhelped by our hoarded wealth will reach the ears of God. And even if we have no love for our brothers and sisters, we are reminded of God's deep love for them, that God will judge, that God our judge will condemn us for the riches that we have not used for the benefit of his beloved. So that's James's warning to the wealthy. And I hope that it pulls at your heart that might waken you to some resources that you have left rotting away. But what about those of us who don't have the luxury of excess, who find it difficult to make ends meet every month, who have experienced the hardship of wages kept back in fraud, of malicious landlords, of backbreaking bosses, of a paycheck spent before it's even in the bank? What about those of us who might be staring down the barrel of a second job loss with this new lockdown in the same year? Or the threat of eviction with no rent protections from our government? What are we then to do when we see the excesses of the wealthy, the way that they seem to not have a care in the world and get richer through exploitation and wickedness? James invites us to be patient. It's strange, but the long-suffering endurance of the poor and the marginalized, James is reminding us, is not without end or without hope. Immediately, James gives us the reason to be patient, that there is an end that can be counted on, the coming of our Lord, the Lord who is the righteous judge, a just judge, is coming soon and will account for the excesses of the wealthy and will reconcile all things so that there is no more death or mourning or crying or pain because he will cause that old order of things to pass away, an old order where riches rot and meager wages bolster corporate profits and moths eat better than many hungry because they feast on the clothes of the wealthy. This way of being is the very thing that Jesus commits to undermining and undoing. And all those who suffer under the weight of the current way things are, are encouraged to expect and rejoice in the way that things will one day be when Jesus rights every wrong and causes everything sad to come untrue. This is the reason why we celebrate Christ the King Sunday why I'm wearing this stole for the occasion, because we remember that Jesus not only was Lord, but also continues to be Lord, continues to be king over all creation, reigning at the Father's right hand, and his kingship will one day be known in all places, that the whole world would know that his kingdom of justice peace and abundance is a far better way than the way of partiality, war, and scarcity, which seems to continue to rule in far too many places in our world. And all of us who truly follow Jesus, we all look forward to that day with eager anticipation. 
But as we wait for it, as we wait for it with patience, James next reminds us not to grumble against one another, lest we be judged. It can be tempting when we find ourselves in need to look to those who are not facing the struggles that we are facing and to wonder why they will not help us in the way that we desire them to. Those of us who are in need might grumble against those in the church who seem to hoard their wealth, who have not yet fully learned the lesson of the way of Jesus, which is to give with generosity. Even as James warns the rich who have laid up treasures for themselves, which will be their very condemnation, in the same breath, he also warns those who wait patiently for the return of the Lord that they cannot take the judge's place without coming under judgment themselves. So what are they to do who wait patiently for the Lord? What are we to do if we are trying to refrain ourselves from judgment? Well, James reminds us that even in our suffering, there is the reality that we are blessed. In the Old Testament, wealth was seen as a sign of God's blessing. And many people still think that way today. But this today is the mind of capitalism and not of gospel. Because we see in the New Testament that it is suffering and endurance which is truly God's blessing. That the silver and gold that were a sign of God's favor in the Old Testament have been replaced with spiritual riches in the new heaven and the new earth, a wealth that is present in the church. As the evangelist George Muller once said, it ill becomes a servant to seek to be rich and great and honored in that world where his Lord was poor and despised. And as we were reminded once again today in the kids' moment, Jesus calls blessed all those who are treated in the same ways that the prophets were treated, that he was treated. Rather than being quick to judge those who hoard their wealth, James encourages patience in all who know poverty and reiterates that you are blessed, even in your waiting, even in your suffering, because you are not far from your Lord. And then, as James draws to the close of the letter, he encourages us toward prayer, whatever our circumstances, that if you're suffering, you should pray, and if you are joyful, you should pray, that praying is for the privileged and the marginalized alike. But then, I think it takes a very interesting turn as he continues, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Having just spent so long reminding the rich that their wealth is no good to them if it goes unspent and encouraging the poor to have patience in their suffering and to not grumble or judge, trusting in the coming of our Lord who is the just judge, James now tells us to pray for each other that rich and poor in the church should pray for one another, and in praying for each other, we may be healed. It should be the vocation of all Christians to pray for one another, desiring that together we would be healed. We who lack should pray for the rich, that they would use the resources God has given them for the purposes that God has intended them for. And perhaps as we do that work, we might discover that we no longer judge the rich 
but we have great compassion and forgiveness for them. And we who have wealth and treasure should pray for those who suffer want and have need that God would provide for them. And as we pray those prayers, we might discover how God calls on us to act in his name with generosity. Friends, may God, who is rich in mercy, give us the wisdom to use all that we have in his kingdom's cause, that nothing would rot or rust in our keeping. And may he give us the grace to persevere without judgment when all that we have feels as though it is meager and wanting. And may we together grow in love and humility as we pray for each other, that we might find our prayers to be both powerful and effective. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We believe God's Spirit speaks through his word, and so we like to leave time for reflection after the sermon. And so there's a question for you to consider and an invitation for you to participate in that you'll see on the screen. The first question is, what resources might you be letting rot? How can you better use these things for God's kingdom? And the second, the invitation, is for you to take time to pray for both the rich in our church and those who have needs that are unmet in our church, that truly we would be healed. We'll give you a couple of moments to reflect on these things. Hi, hi Knox. My name is